Justice. Everyone's talking about it. It is the buzzword of our culture today. Justice. We talk about it all the time. We talk about injustice. We talk about criminal justice. We talk about social justice. But when we say the word justice, what do we mean? And when you look into the Bible and you see the word justice, what does the Bible mean? I think it's going to be really important for us in our culture today to find out what God means when he says justice. So today in week three of the River Series, we're going to find out that the justice of God is described in the scriptures as a rolling, powerful river, a river that continues to go to all places at all times. We're going to find out today that God is a God of justice. Today, we're going to see that justice should matter to us because justice matters to God. So today as we look at the idea of justice, we're going to go to the scriptures. We're going to find out what justice is really all about and what God thinks about the idea and the concept of justice. And to do that, we're going to go to the Old Testament first. We're going to go to one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. His name was Amos. And these are the words that the prophet wrote concerning justice, beginning in verse 18 of chapter 5 of the book of Amos. It says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? It is not very dark with no brightness in it. I hate and I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings, and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Now, these are some very powerful, very stunning words to hear in the book of Amos. What is going on here? Well, what we see is God is talking to his people and he tells them that he doesn't want to hear their songs. He doesn't want to hear their instruments. He is not happy when they get together to worship him. What is happening here? Well, what, we, what we're going to find out is that this was in an era of time when the people of God were in great prosperity. Things were going really well. They had money. They had jobs. They were not at war in any kind of conflict that they had. They were winning the conflict. Uh, everything was going well, and in fact, they were worshiping. They were worshiping the one true God, singing to him, getting together, doing all the things that on the surface they needed to do. So then what gives here? Why is God so angry with his people, so vehemently angry that he doesn't want to hear them sing, he doesn't want to see them get together? What is it that could cause a, a group of people in the Old Testament, the people of God, and maybe today in, 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 in our modern world, 
maybe even a church getting together. What could make God look at his people and go, I don't, I don't want to hear you sing. I don't like your songs. I don't want to see you get together. What is it? Well, to do that, we're going to go back a little bit and we're going to go and see why God is so angry with his people. So why was God so angry at his people? Well, we just read these powerful words in the book of Amos that God doesn't want to hear his people sing, doesn't want them to get together. What in the world would make God so angry? What we see when we look back in chapter 5 in verses 10 through 15. Let's read that now. It says, They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor, you take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You've planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live, so the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And there we see why God is so angry. And, and what did that verse say at the end, the first section we read? God's justice is going to roll like a mighty stream, like a mighty body of water, like a river. And why is he so angry at his people? They're worshiping. They're doing all the things on the surface that you would think that people of God should be doing, except they had, they had omitted a crucial piece of their faith a crucial piece of what God demanded of them, what he expected of them. And what was that? Justice. The people of God during this time had decided to look out for themselves, make sure that they remain prosperous, enjoy their prosperity, and they had, they had ignored the presence of vast injustice in their land. They had not looked out for the poor. They had not looked out for people that were not of the same race or not of the same socioeconomic background. They had made sure that they built nice houses, but they weren't really worried about other people. They had made sure that they had great vineyards, but they weren't so concerned about people that did not have what they had. In fact, not only did they ignore injustice around them, we see signs in what God just said to the people of Israel that they had actually perpetuated injustice. They had actively taken part, not just in ignoring the presence of injustice, they had been a part of creating it with their actions and their inaction. Now, as we look at this, it is stunning to see just how angry God was with them, but it is also very telling because what we know about God is he is immutable, meaning he does not change, meaning that the same God that was that angry with Israel over their uh, passivity towards injustice, even their activity in injustice, the same God that, that would not put up with that out of his people is the same God who will not put up with it out of his people today. And what we see here, what we learn about God here is that God expects his people to care about justice and to fight against injustice. We are to be people that, that not only refuse to ignore it when injustice is around us, we also have to uh, be careful to not actually perpetuate injustice. We must care about justice, and here's why. Because God cares about justice. So when we look at that idea, though, with that word being thrown around our culture all the time, the question is this, what is justice?
So with the word justice being used constantly in our culture today, you can't turn on the news, you can't open up your iPhone, your smartphone, and look at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook without seeing the word justice used in some way. Again, the idea of injustice, the idea of social justice, but what does it mean? And we need to, as believers, our, de our definitions need to come from the Bible. So when the Bible speaks of the word justice, it simply means this, to make right. The word justice means to make right. And we need to understand that. And we need to understand that justice comes from God as humans, as sinful humans. We wouldn't even know what justice is without knowing who God is. Justice comes from God because God is a just God. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that God is a just God. Listen to these words. Isaiah 30, 18 says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Watch this. For the Lord Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. So our God is a God of justice, and he defines it. Justice is to make right. And that's exactly what God has always done. It's why God was angry with his people there with a the minor prophet Amos uh, prophesying really against Israel, is that they knew that there were things that were not right. It was not right, according to God, that they all had these fantastic rock-hewn, which would have been the best made and the most expensive homes during that time, that they lived like that, knowing that among them were people that could not even eat, that they were going to drink fine wine from their fine vineyards. That was, that was a display of wealth. God said, you know it's not right for you to be able to live like that, knowing that there are widows, that there are children starving in the streets. You cannot ignore that. You cannot be indifferent to that. Why? Because that's not right. And God wants his people to be about what is right. What is right. In fact, the expectation is that God's people will understand justice in a way that people who do not know God just simply cannot. In fact, look at the book of Proverbs and it tells us that we as God's people are the ones who uniquely can understand justice. Proverbs 28, five says this, evil men do not understand justice. When it's talking about evil men, it means uh, people apart from God, people who don't know God, people who don't know the living God, the word of God. Evil men do not understand justice. They can talk about justice. Uh, they can uh, seemingly fight for justice, but they can't fully understand the true nature of justice. Look what it says. But those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Now that is a stunning verse because I don't know about you, but I've been a Christ follower for, for a long time now, several decades of my life I've been following Jesus. So I seek the Lord. But I'm going to be honest with you, justice is a perplexing issue even for me. I find at times that I am so disappointed with myself for not noticing the injustice around me, not caring enough, not being passionate enough. And I, I bet if you're, if you're listening to this right now, you probably feel the same way. So what does the Bible mean when it says, we who know God, seek God, love God, understand justice completely? Well, it's not saying we're perfect, and it's not saying that you're never going to miss it, and that you're never going to mess this up, because we all do. But what it is cluing us into is an experience that Christians have that people who don't know God simply have never experienced, and it's this. Christians have experienced the deep, the life-altering, the glorious gospel message that tells us that God has justified us as his people. And how did he do it? 
He did it by completely satisfying his justice on his own son. So how can the book of Proverbs say that believers in God, and now we understand Christians, New Testament from the cross forward, that includes all of us, why is it that we can understand justice in a way that the rest of the world simply cannot? Even when we mess it up, we, we, we understand it. It's because we've experienced justice in a very powerful way. And it's when God justified us as believers through his son, Jesus. And there's several ways that we understand justice in a unique way. First of all, we understand sin. As believers, we understand the idea of sin, the idea that we as humans have broken the relationship that we had with God from the very beginning. And the Bible tells us that the, the penalty for this is death. Ezekiel 18.20 makes it so simple and succinct. It says, the soul who sins shall die. The soul who sins shall die. Sin leads to destruction. Jesus said it only leads to destruction. In the, in the Old Testament of the book of Genesis, the very first two humans, God warned them, if you eat of this tree that I've told you not to eat of, you will surely die. And they did not die physically immediately. What we do know is they were immediately dead spiritually. They were separated from God. The wages of sin is death. And we as believers who have experienced the life-changing power of the gospel in our, in our own lives, we understand that. We understand that sin had consequences, and the consequences of sin to God are death. And, and, and here's why, because God is a just God, meaning everything must be made right. And if he doesn't do that, then he's not God. He's not a fully just God. So this leads us to the next thing. There was a dilemma there, right? For all humans who have broken God's law, and we all have, the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's our sin in every one of our lives. So what did God do since he had to uh, completely satisfy justice in that situation? What he did is he sent his only son. John 3.16 famously tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son for this very situation that we're talking about. In fact, when you look at the Bible, you'll see in 2 Corinthians 5.21, quintessential gospel verse, it says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, to become sin. In other words, God was going to satisfy his justice because he's a just God. But by the grace of God, he did not pour out his wrath, which would be the satisfaction of his justice, on us. Instead, he poured that out on Jesus. And we understand that Jesus took our place. That's why we call what he did on the cross the substitutionary atonement. That means he atoned, he satisfied the wrath of God, which is his justice against sin. Jesus satisfied the demands of a holy, just God by taking our place. And on the cross, the full weight of the justice of a holy God was completely exacted upon Jesus on the cross. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. By the way, the rightful wrath of God, because God is right always, and humans had sinned against him, and there was a payment that had to be made or justice would not be served. And see, this is a misunderstanding many of us have when it comes to the gospel and redemption of what Jesus has done for us. God did not simply ignore your sin. That would not make him just. 
That would not be right. Sin has to be paid for. There's a penalty. We read it, Ezekiel. There's a death that has to be, has to be paid. And, and Jesus did that for us. God did not overlook your sin. God did not let it off the hook. No, your sin and mine, totally paid for in Jesus on the cross. And this will be a really good moment while we're in the middle of the River Series just to be grateful just to stop right where you are as a Christian as we explore the idea of justice and realize that you, you can't understand justice in the truest sense unless you've experienced the grace of Jesus. And in fact, it will be from this place of understanding. This is what Proverbs is talking about. The reason you and I can understand justice like no one else is because we've experienced justice like no one else. Grace in Jesus, because Jesus absorbed the justice of God for us. And what does this mean? Well, this means that now as Christians, since we understand sin and we understand that Jesus satisfied the justice of God, so first, we understand our sin. Secondly, we understand that Jesus satisfied the justice of God on the cross. Thirdly, now we understand that we have a responsibility. That's what Proverbs is talking about. And it's why we see God so angry in the book of Amos at his people, because his people in the Old Testament and us in the New, we understand justice. And we understand what God has done for us. And we are expected as God's people in the earth to run after justice and to push back against injustice in a way that no one else can. Why? Because we've experienced the justice of God being satisfied in Christ, we should want to see things made right all around us. So as we look at the idea of justice today, Amos says that the justice of God will roll like a river. That's what he told the people of Israel, and that's the way it is today. God's justice is a lot like this beautiful river behind me. It just keeps running. You can't stop it. You can try to dam it up, but you can't build a big enough dam to stop the powerful rushing water of the justice of God. God is a just God. He will fulfill justice. And he did it in Christ on the cross for us. But now we are his agents of justice in the world. We are to not be indifferent uh, when it comes to injustice around us, and we are to not just think about justice, now watch this, not just believe in justice in our hearts. The Bible doesn't let us off the hook here. That, that would have been the people of Israel in Amos's day. They believed in justice. They knew it. That's why God called them out. He said, you understand this. You know better than this. The problem was they knew it. They did nothing about it. And what we're going to find is God expects us to not just love justice and believe in justice, and notice injustice, he expects us to do something about it. It must be active. Now, in week two of the River Series, we looked at the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. In the book of Galatians, it tells us that one of the components of the fruit of the Spirit that is implanted in all believers when we are saved and we drink of the water of Jesus, the living river, the, the living water, what happens is we get the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the components is goodness. And we define goodness as this, a moral understanding, a, a moral uh, proclivity that's put inside of us. We begin to know what is right by the power of God. And not only that, we begin to want to do it. So we said that the fruit of the Spirit is attitudes, right? When you look at Galatians, it says God's going to give you this new nature, and one of them will be the idea of understanding and desiring what is right or justice, goodness, okay? 
So what this means is when you have the attitude, you become a person of goodness, a person of moral upstanding. You see what's right and wrong in the world. It then must become an action because we learned that the fruit of the Spirit is a group of components, right, that are attitudes that then become actions. They must become actions. If you're a person of goodness, because Jesus has implanted that inside of you, it must become acts and deeds of goodness or things that are right and making things right. This would be God activating in us his justice in the world, and we are to be a part of that. We can't just talk about it. In fact, uh, when you look in the Bible, there's this incredible verse in Micah that tells us that, that what we do when it comes to justice must not just be thinking about it, feeling about it, worrying about it, noticing it. We must do something about it. Micah 6, 8 says that we should do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. So what that did is it kind of, it kind of, backwards engineered what we see from the book of Galatians. We said that it starts with the attitude in the heart, then it becomes action. It starts with fruit of the Spirit, goodness in our hearts, then it becomes us actively making things right in the world around us. That's what we are supposed to do. It's what the people of Israel were, they were supposed to be doing that in the book of Amos. So we see in Micah, it flips it around. It says, this is how it works. You're doing justice do justly, that began with something inside of you, loving mercy, and it all comes from walking humbly with your God. That's how it works. Flip that around, it begins with relationship with God, an inward attitude of loving what is right, love mercy, and it's gonna end with the action of doing justice. So what does this mean? It means as a Christian, I can't just feel it, I have to do it. I can't just be passionate I've got to be passionately active. Examples of this would be like at, at the church I pastor, Three Circle Church, that many of you are a part of. Maybe you're joining us from all over the world. You might not know that Three Circle Church is actively pursuing what is right in the world around us. Years ago, a group of people at Three Circle Church looked around and thought, it's not right that so many of us have great health care, but there are people in our area that can't afford health care. They have no insurance or very poor insurance. We should do something about the fact that right here in our area, people go uh, without having their teeth clean. People go in great pain. Uh, they, they need cavities filled, they need teeth pulled, or they, they don't go and get a checkup at their doctor for years and years and they could be sick and not even know it. And we had a group of people that said, that's not right. Well, they couldn't stop there. They couldn't just go, that's not right. They had to do something about it. So you know what they did? They started this thing called the Hope Center. And today over 6,000 patients get treatment either for their teeth or their bodies or even through counseling at the Hope Center. And that is called justice. Uh, that is called making things that aren't right, right. It's not just thinking about it. It's not just feeling about it. It's doing something about it. It's why we started the Midtown Campus at Three Circle Church because we said, in this community, this one of the most diverse communities in the entire state of Alabama, it's not right that there's not a gospel church in that area that's vibrant and reaching that community. So we did something about it. We couldn't just feel it. We couldn't just talk about it. We had to go do something about it. And, and that's us collectively as a church. God calls his people collectively and as individuals to not just think about justice, but to do something about it. And remember, justice is making 
things right. So I am as a Christian to actively look around me and think, that's not right. I need to do something about it. It's why over the summer, when racial tensions were at seemingly an all-time high in my lifetime, we spoke into that. We spoke into the racial issues. Uh, here in the South, we have a history in our geographical area of extreme racism against our African-American brothers and sisters. And my black friends, my black brothers and sisters, staff members at our church have been through so much. And I know as a believer, as a man, as a child of God, that it's not right. So we spoke into it. We just didn't sit on the sideline. We spoke into it. And you know what was interesting to me? is I made a statement that we recorded. We put it out all over the world, a statement from Three Circle Church, simply saying, we see some things that aren't right. And in that statement, we said, it's not right, the systemic racism that we see in our nation. We need to do something about it. But not only that, in that same statement, we said it's also not right when rioters destroy property. We said, that's not right. We also said it's not right when our police officers are harmed and our police officers are disrespected. We said all three of those things. And what was interesting to me is how much pushback we got. Because often, here's, here's the deal, because often people have a very narrow view of justice. They think, I can compartmentalize justice. I can decide what justice I like and what justice I don't. And that's trying to dam up the river. You can't stop it. God's water is going to flow. And let me tell you, when it starts rolling that river, you're not gonna stop it. And here's the thing you need to know about God's justice. It is complete, it's exhaustive. Meaning that God cares about the black person who has been systemically uh, prejudiced against in this country. He cares about them. And he cares about a police officer doing his or her job and being targeted in a way that is not right. It is dangerous. And he cares about the poor who can't get ahead. And he cares about the life of the unborn child. And he cares about the life of the elderly person. And he cares about the widow. And he cares about justice in every single way. And you can't compartmentalize it. God cares about all justice. And because God cares about all justice, he expects his people to care about all justice, not just that that you're like, not just that that's your pet project, not just the one that you're passionate about, not just the one that you've experienced in your own life. No, God cares about all justice and therefore we must care about all justice. Listen, if you let your ideology take precedent over your theology, then you're gonna fall into the trap of trying to compartmentalize justice in a direction that you want it and you like it. And that got God really angry at his people in the book of Amos. So what did the early church do when it came to justice? The vibrant powerhouse early church, book of Acts, New Testament, how did they handle justice? Let's take a moment and look at what the early church did when it came to justice. So as we talk about justice and the justice of God being like a river that just rolls on, we need to look at the early church because we learned so much from them in so many ways. Well, 
how did they handle this idea of justice in their culture? They were living in the Roman Empire, the early church. The Roman Empire was a godless, uh, really t- terrible in many, many ways. Uh, it, was an, it was a sexually promiscuous, almost unimaginably, the Roman Empire was. The Roman Empire was not a, a culture of life. Uh, the unborn, infanticide was, was, was a huge deal. If you didn't want your baby, you could put your baby just out on the street. It could be either starved to death or thrown into slavery. So uh, the elderly and the, uh, the infirmed, if you got sick, uh, if you uh, were physically impaired or mentally impaired in any way, you could just be kind of thrown out of society. Right, so not a pro-life culture at all. Uh, there was this idea of the purity of race and the purity of who the Romans were. So racial diversity was not uh, something to be valued in any way. Uh, the poor and the marginalized were completely just cast out of society. There, were, there was just no no care for that. So the Roman Empire was a really tough place, and the early church lived in that world. Okay, and so one of one of my heroes and and someone who has shaped Three Circle Church from a distance in many ways because many of us leaders love him and his work is Tim Keller, and Tim Keller's a great modern day theologian and writer. And when talking about the early church and the idea of justice, he described five different ways that the early church was absolutely revolutionary in the Roman Empire, and, and, and you'll see that they're very interesting. So he said the first way they were revolutionary was that they were racially and ethnically diverse. In, in an empire that did not want that, did not like that, the church was decidedly diverse. That's huge. Secondly, uh, the early church cared actively and passionately for the marginalized, for the poor, for the widow, uh, for the child, for the elderly, for the infirm, for people who, who didn't have it all, for people who had were experiencing injustice in so many ways. The early church fought for them, cared for them, watched out for them. Uh, that was revolutionary. Thirdly, Keller points out that the early church was non-retaliation at its core, meaning that it wasn't trying to overthrow the government. You don't read in the epistles that they were fighting Rome and fighting against them and, and, and writing letters against the emperor and all of that. You would think they would because it was horrific what the Roman Empire was doing to the church and doing to uh, others. They did not do that. So it was decidedly non-retaliation that was revolutionary. Uh, fourthly, uh, they had a distinct uh, biblical sexual ethic. So when it came to sexuality, the early church held to the teachings of God. And that, that meant in, in who, who you uh, have sexual relationship with. It came to marriage and divorce. It came to all of those things. It came to gender identity. All those types of things were biblically driven. It wasn't what people felt or what they wanted. It was what did the Bible say? What did God say to them? So these are very, very important uh, to understand. And then the last, the last thing that the early church was that was so revolutionary is it was completely pro-life. It was pro-life from the womb to the tomb, we like to say, meaning that it was uh, for unborn children being born. Infanticide was something that the early church fought against, taught against. Uh, It was for taking care of widows and orphans. So when when children were born, you take care of that child. You take care of people, hurting people, poor people, sick people. The elderly would be honored and taken care of in the early church, which was also an Old Testament idea. The people of God have always been pro-life from the womb 
to the tomb, all right? So when you take those five things the early church were, Tim Keller says if you take those ideas, those five things the early church exemplified, and you stick it in our modern world, what you'll find is, interestingly, and this may, listen, just be prepared to be uncomfortable for a minute. He says the first two of the five today would be considered left-wing liberal ideas. Extreme commitment to diversity, right? And extreme commitment to caring for people who don't have as much and the marginalized and the poor. Those two things in our political climate would be considered left-wing uh, ideas, considered uh, liberal ideas. And then the last two, when you look at the list of the things the early church was all about, the last two being completely pro-life, right? And having a biblical sexual ethic, those two things are decidedly conservative. Those are considered right-wing ideas in our modern political culture, right? And then the third one, the one that was right in the middle, being completely non-retaliation when it came to the Roman Empire and the government and not trying to overthrow, not trying to tear down the emperor and the empire and all that, that you can't put in either one of the modern political parties. It's apolitical, right? Because both parties want to fight fight each other, fight everybody, keep the pot stirred. Both parties go at each other constantly. It's certainly not peace-seeking. It's let's stir the pot and continue to retaliate over and over again. And Tim Keller, in his uniquely brilliant way, points out that what you have here is you have something that the early church did as a composite when you put all five together that you cannot fit into a modern political party, a modern political ideology. Again, you're gonna have to decide if your theology is going to be more important than your ideology. And let me tell you, I am extremely opinionated when it comes to politics. I just don't talk about it because that's not the platform God's given me, all right? But I will tell you, I love this country. I love so many things about what God has given us here in America, but what what my first, as a Christian, my first commitment has to be, I'm a child of God and I'm a part of the church. And at the end of the day, we are called to be the church and love justice and hate injustice and not just think about it and be passionate about it. We must do something about it. Our goodness that God has planted in us in Christ, that moral rightness can't just be an attitude we have. It's gotta become an action that we do. And so here's the thing you're gonna have to understand. Another great writer, Scott Sauls, uh, says it like this. We as Christians, if we really follow Jesus, are often gonna be seen as too liberal to be conservative and too conservative to be liberal. In fact, I knew when I taught this message that I was probably at some level going to, to probably anger just about everyone who watches this. Why? Because we're so divided. So today, I'm calling us, all of us watching this, to come back to the Bible to a biblical ethic because these ideas, those five that the early church exemplified, and then the idea of justice, Democrats don't get that and Republicans don't either. They, no political party can have justice. This is a biblical idea and the church is called to it. And here's the deal, as Christians, we should care about injustice in all of its forms and go against it in all of its forms, whether it's racism or whether it's police hatred or whether it's uh, the poor or whether it's the unborn. It's why, we, it's why we love and support our law enforcement. 
It's why we love and support our brothers and sisters who are fighting against racial inequity and injustice in our land. It's why we fight for the unborn alongside organizations like uh, uh, Women's Care. It's why we uh, started the Hope Center. It's why we get on planes and do mission trips all over the world to reach ethnicities and people who need it. It's why we work with Compassion International who makes sure that children are going to have food and health care and an education. It's, it's why we do these things. Why? Because we are people of God who've experienced justice, and now we must care about justice and do something about justice in our world. We can't just think about it. We must do something about it. And listen, our ideologies must come underneath our theology, what God has told us about justice and what we must do about justice. If I could be you and you could be me for just one hour, oh yeah. And if we could find a way to get inside each other's mind, oh. If you could see you through my eyes instead of your ego, oh yeah. That you've been blind Walk a mile in my shoes Walk a mile in my shoes Before I do you Criticize and accuse Walk a mile in my shoes hey. And we spend the day Before I do a 
so the book of Amos tells us, God, his justice is like a river that rolls. So today I wanna encourage you to, hey, be opinionated, care about politics and all that, there's nothing wrong with that, but always make sure your theology is more important to you than your ideology. And make sure that you understand what justice is. Justice is making things right. Jesus prayed and taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. There is no racism in heaven. There is no infanticide in heaven. There is no murder of unborn children in heaven. There is no disrespect and, and, and disregard for the elderly or the infirmed or the sick or the mentally ill in heaven. That's not going to happen in heaven. In heaven, everything's going to be made right, and therefore we, the people of God who have experienced His love, grace, and justice, must be now the agents of it in this world. Let's bring the kingdom to this earth. Let's see what's not right around us and do something about it, and that's my hope for you today. You can't do everything, but you must do something. So today, this week, look around you. Look for what's not right. Care about it. Don't be indifferent towards it. But then, my friends, listen, let's do something about it. And let's let the justice of God roll like a river in our lives.